Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Denise Williams is the author of The Fastest Way to Fall. Denise wrote her first book in the second grade, I Hate You, and its sequel, I Still Hate You, featured a tough, funny heroine, a quirky hero, witty banter, and a dragon. Minus the dragons, these are still the books she likes to write. After penning those early works, she finished second grade and eventually earned a PhD. After growing up a military brat around the world and across the country, Denise now lives in Iowa with her husband's son and two ornery shih tzus who think they own the house. How to Fail at Flirting was her debut novel, and she can usually be found reading, writing, or thinking about love stories. Welcome, Denise. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Fastest Way to Fall. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. This was great and fun and interesting, and I loved all the different parts, the texts, the emails, the, you know, like how you included so many different ways of telling the story. I love the characters, the alternating viewpoints. It was really, and, and also the thought provokingness of it, especially kicked off by your author's notes. So thank yeah. you so much. 
You're welcome. So why don't you start by telling listeners a little about what The Fastest Way to Fall is about and what inspired you to write it? Sure. The Fastest Way to Fall is about Britta, who is an aspiring journalist. She's a fat woman and she is tasked with reviewing a body positive fitness app. She doesn't particularly care about fitness or definitely doesn't want to lose weight or change herself. This is really something for work, but she's excited to dive in. And in addition to reviewing the app, she decides to talk about her journey um, using the product. And so as she embarks on this journey, she's surprised about how much she actually enjoys some of the different things she's doing, but she especially enjoys getting to meet her personal trainer, Wes, through the app. He is somebody who is very supportive, but also funny and their chemistry um, just sparks right away. Uh, And the beginning of the book is really kind of epistolary because they're chatting through the app. Meanwhile, Wes actually owns the app and his background is in personal training and he really misses that. He's one of those characters who's at a professional and personal crossroads where he opens the book just really unhappy and throughout the book figures out how to find and get what he needs. So at its core, the book is, I think, really about strength being strong and finding the person who makes you feel stronger, both physically, but also emotionally and, you know, the strength to be vulnerable, particularly the hero, I think goes on that journey. And actually I was inspired to write that while I was at work. I work in higher education and I have a PhD in education and I was with college students and we were making them reflect. And we do that a lot in education. And I actually low-key hate doing it. Um, (laughs) We were doing it. So I was playing along. And the question we asked is, what was the time that you felt strong? And we had students think about that. And at the time, I thought about being in the gym and being on the elliptical and just like crushing like an awesome workout and defeating the person next to me. They're in their 70s and they did not know we were racing. I knew we were racing. (laughs) And it was just that moment when you stepped off the machine. It's like, I can do anything. Like... I am in charge of this right now. And uh, I did know, I the elliptical this morning and I did not feel like that at all, by the way. I <laughs> was like, I finished and I was like, did I even do that? I don't know. I was on my phone the whole time. So anyway, hats off to you for your great elliptical workouts. <laughs> you know, maybe you needed the 70 year old next to you to like, Compete. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe I needed you there. Like, you know, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I, I had Starbucks and drove to work with my son this morning. So <laughs> not realistical at all, but was it, you know, I thought about like, what would it be like to write a love story that took place in that moment? Like that moment when you felt so strong and like you could do anything. And you know, what if you met your person in that headspace? And so that's where the inspiration for the book came from. Wow. And they do say, I feel like I learned this in college, how when you are working out and all those endorphins are sort of floating about, you're more likely to make connections. Like you're more likely to fall in love and all these things after you're, when you're at the gym, do you know what I'm talking about? Did I? Yeah. Make- yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Cause you're in that like, yeah. In that you're zone. And, it, you're confident. Yeah. I know. So I'm always like, Oh, who's at the gym? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not my husband, but <laughs> I know exactly. I should get him to come work out with me. That's great. Well, of course, Britta, goes, she is also doing this sort of competing side by side with her colleague at work and really wants this new promotion and was trying to get this assignment to vault her up and ends up collaborating with somebody who she had been competing against. And that's almost, it's the same as what you're saying, right? Using something to fuel you that maybe you were sort of working against to begin with. Yeah. And I love writing their relationship. Claire is another aspiring journalist and ends up reviewing a competing app. So it's kind of a couple levels of competition. And I think so often, and these are the only two women of color kind of on this, this level and this writing staff. 
and they feel like they're against each other. Like, this is the person I have to do better than. And they come to this realization that we don't, and we are competing, but we don't actually have to be competitors. Like we could support each other. And I think that's so amazing when you come to that realization with like a colleague that you can actually support each other and still have healthy competition. And I actually really love writing the Claire character because she's pretty tough and she's tougher than the heroine. And I have a love story in mind for her. Oh, good. That's fun. That's awesome. I honestly, I mean, I did not realize that they were characters, that the characters were women of color until fairly deep into the book. I feel like that wasn't in the initial like it came out, I feel like in like page a hundred or something when I realized, or maybe not that far, but not that it matters anyway at all. But anyway, I just, I hadn't even realized. I mean, I guess I should have from the cover, I guess, but anyway, whatever, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But did yeah. you do that on purpose or did you even think about it or did I miss something or? <laughs> oh gosh, I did really. I guess most of the characters I write share identities with me, like physical identities. And so usually I mean, heroines are women of color. And for this story, race isn't really part of it. So no, it's not talked about much. I think there's a scene early on that I actually loved writing where Britta is about to get on the internet and talk about being a fat woman and realizes, you know, let me take stock of myself before the internet does it for me. And so she gets down to her underwear and stands in front of a mirror, but actually points out things about herself she loves. But she also talks about, you know, my, my grandma used to tell me I look like Lena Horn and and, you know, this is my skin tone. And this is what I love about it. And these are my shoulders. And this is why I love my boobs. And, you know, those sorts of things. And um, talks about like her skin tone and her race and her parents and things like that. But it's also just pointing out all of these things about herself that she really loves or has come to love. And when I first wrote that scene, it was much more critical, like how many of us probably are if we stand in front of our mirror in our underwear. And then I rewrote that and realized, you know what, the script doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be that way. Like we can look in the mirror and find these things that we love about ourselves just for ourselves. And that's kind of how that scene ended up being that way. But yeah, like her, her hair and her eyes and skin tone and things like that are definitely part of that. But otherwise, um, race isn't a big part of the book and it's not a big part of the narrative in a, in an active way. Like, I think our experiences are always racialized and how we move through the world is always impacted by that, but it's just not really centered in the story. Right. Okay. So go back to the author's note and talk about your own feelings, your own sort of, I hate to use the word struggle, your own journey with weight and your own body and how that sort of has you seeing the world in a certain way. Yeah. You know what I put in the author's note, and I wrote the author's note pretty early on actually in, in the publishing process for the book was that I've been a fat woman my whole life, but that's always been part of my experience. And I love stories about fat people, particularly fat women who are just like owning their bodies. Like they're in it. They love everything about themselves. They're confident all the time. Or at least that's what they put forward. Um, like, I think those stories are wonderful to read, but for me, that's never been my journey. I was the, the kid who was self-conscious and the teenager who was, you know, awkward, unsure. And, and the, college student who was trying to hide my body or over and not really ever really over exercise. Like I don't think I ever veered into some of those kind of unhealthy ways, but emotionally and mentally, like I questioned myself. I had issues with my body. I had to navigate like what it meant for me to be a fat woman in a world that didn't seem to want fat people at different points in my life. And really, I think largely got beyond that. I still like Britta have my days where I'm like, Oh, it'd be nice to be a size four, but you know, largely that's not where I am anymore. And so that's how I wanted to start the book and just saying that 
I think we can have both. We can have days where we are confident and we look at our stomach or our, our butt and we're like, wow, I am crushing it with this body today. And there are days where we can realize that it's hard to navigate the world in a body that the world doesn't always seem to appreciate and that we can have that simultaneity in our experiences. And I don't think that's just for fat people or fat women is that's what I was writing from, but I think that's all of us in thinking about how we have agency in our bodies and in the world. And the point that I make in the author's note that the character actually makes in the book too, is that in this story and in a lot of our stories, you can be a fat person and also be excited about exercise. And it doesn't mean that you need to change. It doesn't mean that you have to change. It doesn't mean that you want to change, although you can if you do, but it can just be something that you appreciate and enjoy for the sheer act of it. And when I proposed this book and was telling people about it, they're like, oh no, you can't write a fat hair on words about exercise. And I was like, but why not? Like, that's just another constraint that we're putting on bodies. And so I like to touch third rails with my books. I decided to do this. <laughs> and, and I love it. And I think that's really spoken to some people that I can be fat and I can be excited about going to the gym and exercising and still be fat when I leave the gym and be happy with all of those sides of myself. And, and that's what I think comes through in the character, Britta. And that's what I think the hero encourages, like the app that they're reviewing says on the front end, we do not do weight loss. Like that's not our thing. We're not going to work with you on weight loss particularly. And I don't own a fitness app. I don't know if they would ever say that, but this particular app does. And so that's not part of the book at all. I think at one point the heroine says, I lost two pounds. And the hero says, great. How do you feel? And then they move on. Like it's, that's never really discussed. Interesting. I love that. So in the beginning, or nice, not in the beginning, I just wanted to read a couple passages that like really struck me. Okay. You had this one email from bmoney34 to fitmecoach west one on February 13th, 6.46 a.m. And they were talking about finding alternatives to chocolate for Valentine's Day. And it says, alternatives to chocolate sound like cruel and unusual punishment. I'll do a lot for you, Wes, but I draw the line there. But I remember all things in moderation. It's a moot point anyway, no Valentine to speak of. Please give real chocolate to the person you're seeing, unless there's some kind of fitness freak, in which case, flowers. No roses, though. They're boring. <laughs> and of course, then their banter continues. But I love this idea of like, no chocolate is cruel and unusual punishment. And then later... I agree. <laughs> right? I mean, oh my gosh, a life without chocolate. You said, or you wrote rather from Britta's perspective, and this is supposed to be a, a funny repost, guilty pleasure foods. My coach would tell me that linking food with guilt isn't healthy, and he's right. Still, I know certain foods provide me with more nutrition and energy than others, and it's those others I want when I'm down. To listen to my coach, I'll start calling them comfort foods. And you go on, you say, I have many, but at the top of the list is pizza. By that, I do not mean the iconic deep dish Chicago is known for. I like my pizza thin, cut into squares, and heavy, with mounds of cheese and sausage. Basically, the exact opposite of the foods I've learned make me feel physically good. There's a lot to unpack there about finding comfort or guilt in food. But right now, I'm going to open the box that just arrived from my favorite local place, stick with comfort, and try to ignore the idea of guilt. What's your favorite comfort food? <laughs> is this from you? Are you a big pizza person, by the way? Are you? Is this like a vice of yours? Or I shouldn't say vice, but... Uh, you know, I, I love pizza. I think who doesn't besides my five-year-old who refuses to eat it, but True. it is, I don't know if it's my favorite comfort food, but I, since she's in Chicago, I thought about, oh, uh, you know, what's something that speaks to the place, but maybe challenges a little bit of what 
kind of, I think one of the only things people sometimes know about Chicago is deep dish pizza, which is great and amazing. Love it. But like showing kind of that little different angle of the culture of the city too. But yeah, I mean, who doesn't love pizza? I guess as long as you can eat cheese and the bread or the, uh, the crust and everything. I love it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love this, or I don't love, but I relate to this feeling of guilt and comfort foods and what you are supposed to eat and what you are not supposed to eat. And I know that we're supposed to be over this and I'm 45 years old and I shouldn't still be like in these same traps from when I was a kid, but I still like see a piece of food and it's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, I have no, you know, I still eat it. Right. But I still in the back of my head have this little, you know, chirping bird of like, you shouldn't have really done that. I know you did it, but whatever. I mean, I don't know if that ever goes away or if it's just my own issues, but you know. Oh, I don't think it's just your own. We're, we're, you know, we're so conditioned, right? Like from an early age that it's like, okay, well, you can have that, but you've got to do this many sit-ups to work off that Oreo. Like, eh. you know, and there's a line in the book where the, the hero was talking to his business partner. And he's like, you know, so much of what we do in fitness is undoing what people learned when they were kids, what they were conditioned to when they were kids. Cause so many of us were with these, not even always unhealthy, but just unproductive connections between bodies and food and exercise and size. And, you know, in ways that I think for most of us just leave us, you know, as adults in our forties going like, Oh, I feel bad about enjoying this piece of cake when <laughs> it's just cake. Yeah. True. Although it's so good. Sometimes I think, right. I- I, I'm like, I think sometimes I get even more enjoyment from food or something. Like I love like sweets. I just love them. I get so excited and I'm, I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, maybe other people just don't love food as much. I mean, I think that's just a thing, right? <laughs> they should love it more. I am working on a book right now that takes place in a candy store and I have never like fought the urge so hard to like just live inside a candy store and just eat truffles while I write <laughs> as being in the middle of this book. One of my sort of secret fantasies at one point in my life is to be in a bathtub full of M&Ms. I'd, at some point in my life before I die, I'm going to try to make that happen. I say do it. 
Maybe right? freeze them first so that they don't melt immediately. Oh my gosh, that is such a good idea. <laughs> wow. I know I was thinking they'd get all over me. Freeze them first, but we need such a big freezer. Right. Think about how, um, how many. Um, yeah. You're going to have to work through some of the, you've got connections though. Like find somebody in a, who owns a restaurant and ask if you can store a, a couple of uh, Rubbermaid tubs full of M&Ms. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this is getting really embarrassing. Okay. I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll do it at like a hotel or something. So I don't have to clean up my own bathroom. Could you imagine though, if the next person came in? I'm kidding. I wouldn't actually. Oh my gosh. Like the, the cleaning staff, that would have to be an amazing tip. No, I know. I wouldn't actually do that. I'm probably never going to do this anywhere, but anyway, wait, tell me a little it's bit. It's a more. good fantasy. It's a good, fantasy. it's just a fantasy. I'll just keep it right there. What is your next book about aside from the candy store? <laughs> I actually have four books out in 2022. So it's a little busy right now. I have three novellas that are out in the spring that all take place in and around an airport. So one is an airport dog groomer. And her, uh, what I call her diet coke break, the frequent flyer, she's been scoping out. And it turns out he's a romance author who needs a muse. So all of their dates are in the airport during his layovers. And that one's called The Love Connection. The Missed Connection is two people have kind of a clandestine, serendipitous New Year's Eve kiss when they're stranded. And then several months later, it turns out they're academic rivals and they have to travel to five cities together to learn about these different universities. And then in the third one, that is the candy shop one, is two best friends who both work in the airport. And they have five days to solve the mystery of a missing love letter found in the candy shop before one of them leaves the country. And Ooh. so those have been fun to write and light and like lots of banter and just a little bit of steam. And then my third novel will be out in September and it's called Do You Take This Man? It centers RJ, who is the heroine's best friend in the fastest way to fall. And RJ is kind of a, a badass divorce attorney who doesn't actually really believe in romantic love. And she gets ordained to perform Britta and Wes's wedding. Spoiler, they get together. And she's in the park, runs into a couple. She gets kind of swept away in the moment. And the couple just got engaged and they want to get married right away. She says, hey, I'm ordained. I can perform weddings. And then they do it right there in the park, kind of on the fly. And it goes viral. And when it goes viral, she finds herself in the position of being a tough as nails divorce attorney who doesn't believe in love, who's also a hotly sought after wedding officiant. And <laughs> very shocked to see that she actually loves to do it. I'm actually ordained to perform weddings. I do that for friends kind of on the side and for fun as well. And she loves it, even though it conflicts with her profession. The only challenge is that she has to work with this wedding planner who just arrived from LA where he used to event plan for the NFL for a variety of reasons. He has dropped his nice guy persona and has a kind of a dude bro facade. And he is now planning weddings and they hate each other. In their first meeting, they run into each other. She calls him every expletive in the book and he tells her she should smile more. Um, I promise he redeems himself, but uh, <laughs> it's an enemies with benefits, enemies to lovers tale. And it's just like a lot of fun. And that I think that the dedication will be to the ones who think they're hard to love. And that idea of those brushes we paint ourselves with in terms of who we think we are in a relationship and how the right person can kind of challenge that. Denise, when are you writing all of this stuff? Oh my gosh. You have a son, you have a full-time job, you're like marketing your books. You When on earth? When are you doing it? <laughs> well, lunch breaks are really helpful. And I have a little table in my, in my office where I can kind of leave my desk and go right for an hour at my lunch break. And then I am very lucky to have a five-year-old who still goes to bed pretty early. And so once he goes down, then kind of just the rest of the night is writing. But you know, it's that... Somebody asked the other day, like, how do you balance it? And I was like, I don't balance anything. Like, 
I think it's just, you know, then you know this, you're doing a million things incredibly. And it's like you're juggling and it's just always figuring out which balls are plastic and which are glass. Mm, and nice. sometimes your book is glass and sometimes your kid is not. Um, yeah. it's just figuring out like, you know, what's most critical at this moment as I'm juggling. Yes. That is really cool. I love that analogy. Thank you. I'm going to try to use that today to get me through <laughs> which yes, ones do. are glass and which ones are plastic. Amazing. And some M&Ms. <laughs> and some M&Ms. It helps everything. I mean, chocolate helps yeah. everything. <laughs> By the way, what are you reading now? Like, what do you like to read? What are you reading? Oh my gosh. I'm reading so many things right now. I have a ton of books that are going to be out soon. West Side Love Story by Priscilla Olivares is on the top of my list right now. And then I just finished rereading Kennedy Ryan's All the King's Men duet, which is contemporary romance that, oh my gosh, it's epic. It's like a 20, 30 year story and it touches on indigenous rights, land rights, missing murdered indigenous women, climate change, politics. And it's just this incredible, like epic love story too. And so I just reread that maybe for the third time because it's just a story that always draws me in. And then um, Loveless and Fancy Ships by Sarah Grinder Ruiz actually comes out today and is just touching and glorious. And I ugly cried. And uh, that was a really beautiful story. Romance, but also kind of a finding yourself. Do we still use the term women's fiction? I don't know. But <laughs> a story about this woman kind of finding her own journey in, in grief too. Wow. Thank you. Those all sound good. Okay. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? The best advice I have is I guess there's a couple pieces, but the main thing is that just reminding yourself that the only thing a first draft has to do, has to do is exist. No matter if this is your first book or your 50th, you will hit that moment where you feel like that the book isn't perfect yet. And especially if you just came off a finished book, which you tend to do before you have new draft, but reminding yourself that the only thing a first draft has to do is exist. You can always edit what's on the page. You can change things. You can shape it. You can mold it. You can delete things later, but just keeping you know, keep writing so you can get that draft on the page because so many people stop because it's not perfect. And personally, no book I have ever submitted to my editor has been perfect. That's why we have editors and to do that. And the other thing I think is in publishing is to remind yourself and Jen DeLuca, who wrote the Renaissance Fair romance series, the Well-Matched, Well-Met series said this to me and it's always stuck with me is that 99% of the time, it is not your turn. You know, in publishing for most of the year, your book is not front and center. And it can feel like you've been forgotten. It can feel like what you're doing maybe doesn't matter. And then for that 1% of time when you are in the spotlight, it's amazing. The sun is shining on you. Like M&Ms and Skittles are just being thrust in your general direction. It's gorgeous. But then it's not your turn again. And so to just kind of hold on to that sunshine moment and know that publishing is cyclical and your turn will come around again. But that can be, I think, really hard, especially for new authors when you're in the spotlight and then you're not. And then it's figuring out what does that mean for me as a writer? Interesting. I started a publishing company recently called Zippy Books and I'm trying- Uh, Which is amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. But I'm trying to find ways to solve all those problems. Like why- should you only that you the writer should not be in the spotlight one percent the writer should be in the spotlight the author should be in the spotlight like hundred percent of the time right like how do you make that transition and all of that so anyway all that's good true and you know it's also finding like where you want to be in the spotlight mm-hmm. like you know where do I find joy and acknowledgement as an author and I think what I thought I would find the most excitement about was you know like being on the lists and in the media outlets and being interviewed, which, you know, happens a lot more 
right as your book comes out. Mm-hmm. But then along the way, for me, actually, the most meaningful thing was my first book, which was about a domestic violence survivor. And then my second book now, which is with Britta and Wes, has been hearing from readers who DM me and just say, I saw myself in this book and here's what it meant to me. And I save every single one of those messages. And that happens all the time because new people are always finding your book. And so I also think as an author, it's looking at, you know, the sunshine of media attention is amazing. I'm a Leo, like we're here Uh, for the win, but you know, like what are those other pieces that for you are validating? And for me, it's, it's those messages hands down, like is the most incredible thing about having put a book out and putting books out, but also knowing that that is a kind of being centered and recognized and acknowledged, validated, whatever as well. Excellent. Love it. Okay. Well, when is your birthday, by the way? July 26th. Yeah, okay. I'm August 22nd. Anyway. Anyway. My birthday. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, Denise, thank you so much. This was really fun and I'm excited for all of the things you have coming next year, like hold on to your hat. That's going to be a wild ride. I mean, busy. wow, busy, but exciting. And it's really inspiring how you do so much. And, you know, I feel like fiction is such a gift that I do not have. So I don't know. I'm so impressed. So keep at it. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. And I am in awe of your like meticulously clean background. <laughs> I do this for Zoom. <laughs> I do this fake background. (laughs) (laughs) This is also where my kids watch TV at night and it's like a zoo with like, you know, milk and, you know, so, but right now, oh, we're we're all good. Love (laughs) it. Love it. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a great day. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.